Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. In celebration of Black History Month, Hyundai is proud to support the OWN Network. Have you ever thought about your car personality? What's your vibe? Do you like the classic fully gas-powered engine? Are you a best-of-both-worlds type? Driving on battery power while keeping gas on reserve? Or are you more inclined to choose a convenient hybrid ride? Whichever your vibe, there's a Hyundai Tucson to match and a powertrain to get you there. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the 2023 Hyundai Tucson. The 2023 Tucson Plug-in Hybrid is only sold in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. In 1954, the Supreme Court made its historic decision to end school segregation. It was a law that was challenged on every level, from governors and school districts to mobs of angry whites. Well, the weight of this war on racism rested on the very smallest of shoulders. The young black children who walked the longest walk past the vicious taunts of the white protesters to the schoolhouse doors. Nowhere was this ugly struggle more evident than in Little Rock, Arkansas. 1957, Arkansas. The nation was riveted by the Little Rock Nine, nine black teenagers who were set to integrate Little Rock Central High School. But it seemed the entire state of Arkansas meant to stop them. The governor called out the National Guard not to protect the students, but to block their entrance to school. And threatening white students jeered them at every turn. Finally, the black students were allowed to enter the school through a side door, and the white mob erupted in a riot. President Eisenhower sent over 1,000 members of the 101st Airborne Division to Little Rock to escort the students to school. Each student was issued their own federal bodyguard just to attend class. 
But once inside the schoolhouse doors, the Little Rock Nine found that their struggles for respect and equality had only just begun. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Seven of the original Little Rock Nine are here today. And in a few moments, they're going to come face to face for the first time in 38 years with some of those white students at Central High School who tormented them. One who chanted protests outside the school, another white student who hurled a bowl of soup on a black student, and yet another who witnessed it all but stood by in silence. They come today asking for forgiveness. But first, you know there's a saying that goes like this, if it doesn't kill you, it will make you stronger. I think that's especially true of the first black students to integrate Central High School. Terrence Roberts is now a professor at Antioch University in California who recalls the pain of that era, but also an act of kindness that he says he will never forget. Melba Patillo Beals was only 15 when she integrated Central High School. She chronicled her battles in a book called Warriors, don't cry. Ernest Green recalls each day was like going to war and says not a day went by when one of the black students did not want to quit. Thelma Mothershed Ware is a retired teacher and feels that the traumatic experience of integrating Central made her a better person and teacher. It doesn't kill you and make you better. Jefferson Thomas says that he made one white friend at Central High an atheist who believed that there could not be a God because no God would possibly allow his black children to be treated this way. Carlotta Walls Lanier's family home was vandalized during integration. Carlotta's still trying to forget all of that ugliness. And Minnie Jean Brown Tricky went into the all-white school with high hopes for a new America. But she says when she stood up to the harassment and abuse, she was expelled. So you didn't make it through the first year? No, I didn't. You didn't. Do you, re do you regret now not making it through the first year? Very much. Mm -hmm. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me, to because have to leave. To have to leave? My friends, that experience. And you were expelled because what? Do you remember the day you got expelled? I don't remember the day. Because first I, you were suspended, right? I was suspended for dropping chili on two boys. Uh -huh. And I was expelled for verbal retaliation after provocation. And the other person who provoked you was not? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I was so, in such shock from that. Such um, shock from it. So they were calling you all kinds of names? Among other things. Like what? Words I don't like to use. Mm -hmm. I guess my kids can use those words better than I can. So Why? I, Nigger, bitch, um, go home, uh, you don't belong here. What was that first day like, Carlotta? Well, the first day was rather interesting. We had a few ministers that uh, accompanied us uh, at one end of the walk. The National Guard was there. 
uh, the governor had stated that the National Guard uh, was there to protect all citizens. And I surely considered myself a citizen. We got there and discovered that the National Guard was really there to keep us out. So it, it was rather interesting to hear what was being said as to why you know, we, we couldn't go. And go once in. you got in, because we never saw you once you got, once you got in, what happened? Well, it's important to, to state that we didn't get in the first day. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. We three were weeks not later. allowed to go in. Uh, it took several weeks, actually, and a lot three of... Weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. Uh -huh. A lot of activity in the courts to finally convince the president that he had to act. But and we can't go past Elizabeth. You know, Elizabeth's gauntlet that she walked right. that first day, she's walking down the sidewalk by herself. She's five feet tall. And these guards are lined up and armed and keeping her out. And that has been a part of her life, all of her life. We can't go past that. She's not with us here, but it's important to remember that, that this child stood up against this entire army of armed people. Because she was the first? Because she, was, she got she separated was from us because she had no phone. I would like for somebody, one of you, whoever, wants to paint the picture of once you got inside, what happened? Well, when we finally got in, we had armed escorts. We had people with guns standing outside the classroom. That's right. The first day we got in, we, we went in with 101st Airborne. I remember the click-clack of the soldiers' boots on the stairs, and I thought, okay, this is why I salute the flag. This is going to work out. If these soldiers just walk with us this first day into this school, it's going to be okay. So we went in with armed guards and with kids standing in the rafters just screaming. At, at one point, it was totally silent. And then all these children standing and bending out of the windows screaming, boo. Ooh. But well, it, was... It, it, was, it was an atmosphere of hostility, of war. And Terrence, there was a student named Robin. Right. Who... She was a um, student in my algebra class, and I particularly remember her because she was willing to pull her desk across the aisle to abut mine and share her algebra book, which, given that climate, was a pretty bold act on her part. And she was harassed later. Oh, yeah, she and her family, because part of the retaliation on the part of the students and their families were to find out who the white students were who would befriend us and target them for economic retaliation as well as physical and psychological abuse. And, and, and this is to keep in mind, this is 1957-58, that anybody white in the South that stepped forward on this issue of race was tarnished immediately. So her sharing her book with him was a major step. Oh, absolutely. Amazing. Well, Terrence doesn't know this, but Robin is here today, so you can thank her in person. Ah, you tricked me. You yeah. said you couldn't yeah. find her. Robin, come on out. <laughs> Robin, did you suffer any repercussions for befriending Terrence? Yes, I did. You did. What happened? Uh, I was followed home from school uh, by a group of students who threw things at me and spat on me and called me names. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot of hate calls and hate mail. Really? Tell me what happens in that moment when you make the decision that you're going to pull your desk over to him. Do you remember what you were thinking? First of all, how old were you? Sixteen. Sixteen. Terrence walked in and he was so scared. We were all so scared. And he sat down, and he didn't have a book, and he was lost. And I made the decision, and it just a, a gut-level decision, that I would share my book with him as I would have shared it with anybody else. Whoa. So what happened the moment you did that in the classroom? Like, was there dead silence? Did somebody say something to you? Nobody said anything, uh, because we had a wonderful teacher who was in control, uh, Ms. Bogard, who is no longer living. 
nobody said anything. There was just dead silence. And I guess there was, what, a gasp of disbelief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A gasp of disbelief. But nothing more because, as Robin said, the teacher, and I, I really felt safe and secure in that classroom because of the teacher. Did you feel safe in all the classrooms? No, 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 no not no, at no, all. No, 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 this was a very no. unique experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll always have to say the name Mrs. Pickwick because she was a five feet tall, only little uh, shorthand teacher, and that was the only class all day that I felt I wouldn't be killed in. Yeah, we shared, uh, the boys all shared gym together, and that was, that was hell. I mean, that was hell week rolled up into an hour every day. Uh, either locker rooms that got steamed with hot towels, with glass on the floor, with some sort of rest. I mean, you knew you were going in. When we did gym, it was battle. Right. So you put, on your, you put on your armor, turn your face into your game face, and uh, got ready to, to go to war. I mean, it was that way every day. And it was further increased that were teachers as they're describing, that were helpful. There were others who were indifferent. And then there were some who were at beyond war. indifferent. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they were part of the war. That's right. Uh, yeah. So did you then befriend him after that, Robin, or was that just one incident in the classroom? I think during the year, oh, we, yeah. we were we, friends. Right. Yeah. And she was a friendly face I could pick out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't expect there to be any trouble. It never occurred to me that there would be any trouble. This was something that was going to happen and as far as a 16-year-old can imagine, it was going to go according to the way the law said it was going to go. It was really a mob scene, very chaotic. Mm -hmm. The National Guardsmen People who are maybe on their own wouldn't have behaved, behaved that way, but in a crowd where they're infused by other people. Oh, I think there was people. some of that. Uh -huh. A lot of groupthink, yeah. mob behavior, and really vicious. When you look at the pictures and see the faces, you mm -hmm. have no doubt that these they are people vicious. intent on doing great harm and bodily injury. Now, a lot of people from out of town, and as I write in my book, my mother and I almost got hanged that day. People with ropes circled underneath their arm and over their shoulder, as they put it, ready to do business, ready to hang a nigga. Wasn't that a time, I don't know if, did you recognize it at, at a time? Because I, I was born in Mississippi in 1954, Mississippi being the worst lynching state in the world at the time, that if you were a black male, it didn't matter what you did. You walked down the street the wrong way, you looked the wrong way, you, uh, you know. Well, somehow we believed that we weren't in Mississippi. That's yeah. what we thought, mm -hmm. yeah. and that Arkansas, uh, Little Rock, was going to be different from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Well, this touched the raw nerve, the edge, the end of the nerve, and all of this came oozing out, all of this racism, all of this, this vengeance, all of this vileness uh, all came to the surface. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Joining me now are three of the white students who admit in one form or another to being part of that ugliness in Little Rock. This is Ann Bolson as she appeared in 1957. She was chanting the words 2468, we don't want to integrate. And Ann says she is now ashamed of that schoolyard chant. Jean Porter regrets being a silent witness to the crimes by fellow white students, including seeing them put thumbtacks on Melba's chair and also witnessing boys in gym urinating on the lockers of Ernest Green. And David Sontag came here today, he says, to apologize to Minnie Jean for an altercation in the cafeteria. What happened? Oh, I just went in the cafeteria and uh, I'd sort of been dared by other kids, you know, to, you know, to retaliate for Minnie Jean for having poured chili on someone's head earlier. And uh, so I, I did it. But it was not, uh, it was not done with, out of hate. What well, was it done out of? It was just of, done <laughs> out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. of not understanding her plight. Mm -hmm. And our, our, the plight of all of them, we didn't really know. We weren't walking in their shoes. We didn't put ourselves in their shoes. And I know that I didn't treat them the way I would have wanted to be treated. How did you treat them? Um, I don't necessarily remember being ugly, straightforward to, to any of them individually, but just being a part of a group that would, you know, chant and uh, say negative things. Mm -hmm. Are you the reason uh, Minnie Jean was, was expelled? I may be part of the reason. <laughs> uh -huh. You were the reason she was expelled. And what happened to you? I was suspended. You were suspended and she was expelled. Uh-huh. I may have been expelled too, and, but reinstated, you know, uh -huh. later. She was not. So uh, you came here today, what? Do you... I am genuinely sorry for any negative things that I did at that time. I was really acting as a child that was not prepared for Were the you, what, what was going on in your family and with your friends about this entire integration process? What were you all saying? It was mainly friends, not my family. Mm -hmm. I was not raised to be racist at all. Mm -hmm. um, I have seven brothers and three sisters. And I mean, we never used the N-word among us. Um, but you did with your friends? With friends, mm -hmm. yes. And, um, and I'm sorry that I used that in my language. And I refused to use it any longer and have for years. Mm -hmm. It didn't take me long. So how did you feel when that year was over, David? How long before you regretted your ignorant behavior? Oh, when I went in the service. Really? And what happened there? I met black men that I had worked side by side with. Mm -hmm. And I got to know them, I got to like them. I really never got to know these people, mm -hmm. only by reading about them. Mm -hmm. And you are now here because you were, were ashamed. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. I knew Carlotta just because she had a locker close to me, and we would, you know. And that's how I'm, I'm, I, I recognized you off the bed. I remember you. I remember your smile. I remember your eyes. I remember your cat calls. You used to get me coming out of English class, walking down the hall. You remember that? And I, I've never forgotten your name. I've never forgotten your name. Never, ever. Was he not nice to you? He was insidious because he was continuous. He was like relentless. He never gave up. It wasn't like he did this one day. It was like every day. And he never really hit or anything, but I always expected him to. And he was just always there. And he had the most vibrant eyes. And he just 
he really frightened me because every day he was there. You know, it wasn't like it was going to be today, Tuesday, Thursday. It's going to be every day. Every time you see him, every you know trouble. So it was like Chinese water torture. It was like he had a day job. It That's right. <laughs> right, man. He was, he was on time. He was on time and on target every day. Every day. Every day. Does his apology mean anything to you? I would like to come forward and a lot. apologize, sure. Yeah, it means a lot I to us. Yeah. I want to get here. Oh. I wish you all the good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And you better let them in you. <laughs> yeah. It means everything to me. This was probably the most common sin of all, doing nothing. Uh, Elie Wiesel, uh, in a really poignant, stimulating interview we did uh, a couple of years ago, said that we were talking about the Holocaust and how it wasn't the people who were the most evil that allowed it to happen. It was the people who did nothing. It was indifference is the greatest enemy. Gene, what do you want to say about that? Well, I had, uh, Melba, you were in my homeroom, and uh, I did see thumbtacks put on your chair. And uh, Ernest, I was in your gym class. I saw the uh, results of, the, of your gym clothes when someone had urinated through the vents on your clothes. I did witness the uh, wet towels that were tied in knots. I was 15, 16 years old, and most of these, these kids, you, can, you can't see past your nose. And uh, you, you don't understand or you don't realize what impact this is going to have on future generations. You react to a situation. And uh, Did you I was, feel badly then doing nothing? Uh, I felt bad because we're all people. I was going to school with friends who I had gone to elementary, junior high with. I did not understand then why you all wanted to, to come to Central High School, why you would want to leave your friends, things that you knew that you were comfortable with, why you would even want to be with me. Or, there were 1,800 kids in that high school. It wasn't school. about being with you, Gene. It was Hello. about getting... <laughs> Hello. It really when, I me, when I say me, I'm talking about 1,800. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I, I think that I, that's, you give me an opportunity to make a good point right. here. It wasn't about we just want to be with white kids. It was right. about being able to have the facilities and the books and an equal ed education. Right. I, I, and, and I agree. Now you get it, right? Please I am mature now. Yeah, yeah, I am mature now. Yeah. I, can, I have the power of reasoning. Right. Back then, I, I, I had no... I, you react to a situation. Yeah, and you got pulled out of school after one month. Your parents did, right? Because Yes. And I, he was talking about not being raised in a racist family. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a racist family. And the main reason I want to be here today is to tell you how regretful I am for causing what should have been the best year of your life, the most miserable. I went alone because I was afraid you can't imagine for 38 years how badly I have felt. That does not do anything for what happened. That does not, I, I'm just sorry. I'm very sorry. And what are you most sorry about? The because way you behaved, the way you were thinking, the way you were raised, the what? What, the, for not doing what I knew was wrong. I can tell you that every day of my life, at Central was in fear. 
I cannot remember my homeroom teacher's name, but I can remember on the corner of 14th and Park Street, white men trying to turn over a 1954 Chevrolet with an elderly black man in it. The fear to this day, I, I, I get chill bumps. I did nothing. I went alone. I never, my, my participation was chanting. But that was, it was awful, and I was so afraid, and I knew it was wrong. I was only 15, but at the time, I knew I was wrong. You were afraid of retaliation from your white friends? From my white friends, from my family. Uh, I can't tell you things that was said in my home, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. I can do nothing about that. What were they saying to you at home? You're not going to school with those niggers. I'm sorry. This is what I was raised. This is how I was raised. And it, it was not, it was awful. And I am so regretful. Did you break I, the chain? If you, yes. you were taught racism at home, did you break that chain at I home with your children? I broke that chain with my children. And that's very, very key that to me. Is what, that's what I think I've done wrong. Jean, are you sorry? Did you, did oh, you... Yes, I am sorry. Mm -hmm. Certainly. Mm -hmm. But did you feel powerless then? <sighs> I felt powerless. Also, peer pressure yes. has a lot to do when you're oh. in, at, at that age. Well, and I think Gene represented yeah. probably the bulk of students that did nothing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was silence. But I you mean, all say you remember Robin. I remember you saying that. that well, you, Robin... You remember Leah. Robin smiled, because yeah. Robin befriended Robin all of you. Robin was one of the few yeah. faces that was friendly. And, and many days when somebody's beating you in the back with a tennis racket and you're spitting up blood, or somebody's putting acid in your eyes, the only thing you got is a smile. It's the great silence. It's the silence. It's the That's people right. who don't speak up. And if there's any lesson to be learned, now, 30, almost 40 years now, Gene will admit he should have spoken up, and hopefully somebody watches this show and will be moved enough to stand up for something that's right. This was New Orleans 35 years ago when four little six-year-old girls crossed the line. Chosen by their high test scores and the willingness of their parents, four little black girls walked unknowingly into the ugliest that human nature has to offer. Leona Tate, Tessie Prevost, and Gail Etienne integrated what is now the Louis Armstrong School. They were six years old. Across town, another six-year-old girl was going it alone. Her name was Ruby Bridges. Author John Steinbeck told the story in these words. The show opened on time. Sound of sirens, motorcycle cops. The crowd seemed to hold its breath. Four big marshals got out of each car, and from somewhere in the automobiles, they extracted the littlest Negro girl you ever saw. The little girl did not look at the howling crowd, but from the side, the whites of her eyes showed like those of a frightened fawn. Those first steps were made famous in Norman Rockwell's painting of Ruby Bridges, called The Problem We All Live With. As riots and demonstrations raged across New Orleans, Ruby became a powerful symbol of the civil rights movement. The mob was there not just to harass the black children, but to keep white children out of school to prove integration would not work. A few brave white families fought to keep their children in. 
Reverend Andy Foreman escorted his daughter Pam to school every day. There were so few children left in the France school that little Ruby spent her first grade studying alone in a classroom with her teacher. Essentially, she was still segregated. It's been 35 years since this difficult time, but Ruby has not forgotten the France school. She now works there as a teacher's aide and has started a foundation to help families there. And the France school has not forgotten Ruby. This celebration in her honor introduced today's students to the little girl who opened the school doors for them. Ruby Bridges Hall is now the subject of a new storybook for children. It's called The Story of Ruby Bridges by Robert Coles, and we hope that it'll teach another generation a hard-fought and hard-won lesson. What do you remember about that time, Ruby? I remember the first day um, being in the car and hearing the conversation that the federal marshals were saying to my mom about how to get out of the car, you know, not to look back, walk straight ahead. I remember... Um, when we drove up, the crowd, to me, looked like Mardi Gras. You know, in New Orleans, there's Mardi Gras, and uh, mm. people are there, and they're barricaded, and I could sort of see them as we drove up. And once we got out of the car, I could hear them chanting, two, four, six, eight, we don't want to integrate. And uh, I never really saw the mob, because I didn't look back. I remember going into the school and um, having to sit in the principal's office all day behind these glass doors. And there were a lot of people rushing in and out, and they were taking their kids out of school. You know, arguing and fussing and taking the kids by their arms and pulling them out. And uh, I didn't really know what that was all about. But you didn't know this was all about you? No. 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 So we sat all day the first day <laughs> in the principal's office. And uh, I remember looking at the clock on the wall, and it was 3 o'clock, and I thought, well, this is pretty good. You know, school's <laughs> over. So we went home that day. Uh, but the next day was the same thing. Uh, once we got to school, uh, the crowd was out there and chanting and throwing things. We got into the school, and we, the federal marshals escorted me and my mom to my classroom. And I remember once I got there, and the teacher was standing there, and I thought I was early because there were all these desks and no kids. And I remember thinking, well, we're too early today. But um, that wasn't the case. I said... Every other parent had pulled their kid out of school. Right. So you were the only little girl in the first grade? Yes, with my teacher. Um, I took a seat. And my mom sat in the back of the class the second day. So you went through the whole first grade by yourself? Yes. Private school in the public school. You had a private school in the public school. <laughs> right. So as a little girl, did you think, well, this is the way school is? You have your own I teacher. Did. I actually thought that. You know, I actually thought, because the first day I remember thinking, once I got out of the car and there were so many people and the policemen were sort of standing up at the top of the stairs, I thought, well, this must be college. So... <laughs> so, yeah, I thought, well, maybe this is the way it is. This is what I heard college is. Yeah. I'm really smart. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, there was a teacher who worked alongside Ruby day after day, making sure she got what she had braved so much for, an education. Please meet Barbara Henry. Ruby hasn't seen her in 35 years. Was that hard for you, Barbara? 
well, it was so wonderful to have a little student like Ruby that it really made it um, a pleasure. It was a sad time indeed, and it was an anxious time. But it was, it was such a compelling situation that it was very easy for How me. How did you end up teaching her? Because well, they'd I, asked if you wanted to teach what an end Yes, I was just new to New Orleans at that time, uh -huh. and I had applied for, to work you know, in <coughs> my career. And uh, that weekend, previous to integration, uh, Superintendent Redmond called me on the phone and asked me if I would be interested in taking a first grade. And I said, uh, yes, indeed I would. I had taught first grade previously. And then I asked him, was that to be an integrated class? And he said, yes, did I mind? And of course, I certainly did not. And uh, that was how I uh, found myself. When did you come position. to understand that you were only going to be teaching Ruby that year? <laughs> only after I had Ruby. Really? <laughs> Because was it a surprise to you when nobody oh, yes. came to I, class? I assumed I would be teaching a class and, and it would be integrated as I had always thought of integration. Then uh, at the mind. end of the year, weren't her grades so high that the school system decided that, you know... The principal thought that wasn't realistic, that, that Ruby had sort of, in fact, been somewhat tutored. And so that that wasn't a realistic uh, appraisal of her ability, when, of course, we know today with all the wonderful things she's That's right. done, that it was quite <laughs> accurate, quite accurate. So we, we had a grand time together, I think, side by side, that just the two of us uh, spent the year together. The famous author John Steinbeck said that our next guest was the real show in New Orleans. This is what he wrote in Travels with Charlie. He said, the jibes were cruel and sometimes obscene, but this was not the big show. The crowd was waiting for the white man who dared bring his child to school. And here he came along the guarded walk, a tall man dressed in light gray, leading his frightened child by the hand. A shrill grating noise rang out. Now I hear the words, bestial and filthy and degenerate, a kind of witch's Sabbath. Well, now I'd like you to meet the, the, the five-year-old little girl who broke the white boycott. Her name is Pamela Foreman. With her today is the father who squeezed her hand as they walked together through the mob, Reverend Andy Foreman. It's been 35 years. Do you remember it? Long time, very well. Do you really? You remember I really it? do. And how did it affect you? I really wasn't afraid. Mm -hmm. I, I really didn't understand. And Ruby, it's nice to finally see you after all these years. <laughs> so what did you think all the commotion was about in your five-year-old mind? I really am not sure I really understood it. I just understood that they were very upset because this little black girl came to school and they did not want us to go to school with her. Uh -huh. And that was basically all I was Did able you feel to. brave or courageous at the time, Reverend? Beg your pardon? Did you feel brave or courageous at the time? Not really. I, I was doing the thing that I had been committed to do because I believe that every child had a right to go to the school of his or her choice, regardless of the color of their skin. And uh, my decision to take Pam was made out of, out of a prior commitment that I had made years before to the Christian ministry. And um, the morning it happened when the neighbor next door brought her son and Pam back to the house. I said to my family, if she wants to go to school tomorrow, I'll take her. And uh, that began the, what I felt was the longest walk in the world from my door to the front door of the school. How many of you would go as far as this woman went? Uh, Betty Wisdom actually quit her job with the school board in New Orleans so that she could drive children through the mobs to school. So, Betty, you quit your job to drive children through the mob? I had to. It was against the law in Louisiana for anyone who worked for the public schools 
to be for integration. If I had known then what I know now, I would have let him fire me. But I was young and naive, mm -hmm. so I quit. You quit your job? Yes. And was it worth it to you? Oh, good Lord, yes. Mm. It was a time that no one wanted to do anything except the group that I belonged to and a couple of others. Someone had to do something. I never doubted but that it was not only worth doing, but one of the supremely rewarding experiences of my life. And let me ask this question. Do you feel, too, because I've done many, many shows on race and have had things that I've said about race misinterpreted, but isn't it... I think it's no different than any other issue. It is the acknowledgement that you have been done wrong. And I think... Well, I think for yes. It's different from other issues, yes. Oprah, because in this country, we have refused collectively to confront the issue of racism. And to acknowledge it. To acknowledge it That's and right. to really put effort and energy we could take the defense budget, for instance. But I'm saying, but, but in other issues, for instance, in families, if you look at a family where somebody is being, one person is causing pain toward another one, if the pain is acknowledged and the person decides to change, that's how you change that family. Well, I think family. you start there, yeah. absolutely. Yes. We yeah. start there, and we get people to commit personally to doing that, but it is a very big issue, and it's not one of many as I see it for this country. I think that is the one thing the that grips us and keeps us stuck. When I first started teaching, there were quite a few white students. This was my first experience teaching. And I think that I was able to accept the students whom I taught on the basis of what they knew and the basis of what they were, who they were, not what the color of their skin was. And I think had I not gone through Central High School, I might not have been able to accept them on the basis of what they stood for. How you students, were you like trained to be nonviolent? Were you trained to resist? Were you, did someone say to you, no matter what is said to you, you yes, take it? every day. You were? Yes, every day. Yeah, we did have some yeah. training. Yeah. yeah. Martin Luther King came down, uh, Quakers came down from Canada, we were all taught. You Reverend, cannot uh, respond. Reverend Jim Lawson from Los Angeles mm -hmm. was a, a divinity student at Vanderbilt, participated in it, so there was a lot of And what were you there. told? Turn the other cheek, no Turn matter what. Turn the other cheek, no well, matter what. People Melba talk wrote a book yeah. about it called Warriors Don't Cry. But have you cried since? Oh, a lot. Many, many years. After all, I couldn't start to really write that book until I was 47 years of age. That's how much pain I was carrying. It affected my whole life. It has affected all of our lives. And to write the book was very cathartic because now the story's in the book. And it's been very helpful. Did you all cry? Did you ever go home and cry those oh, nights? Oh, yeah. Parents, did you? Oh, oh yeah. Absolutely. The boys cried, yeah. too? Boys did cried, you? too. There are a lot of yes. boys that I got up. Oh, we had a lot of real physical pain to carry home to cry about. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. For being I, beat up. I really did get acid in my eyes. To this day, I wear glasses because of back of my right heel hurts because of people walking on the back of my heels. I carry scars on my legs for people kicking me. We all carry these scars in one form or another. Melba said, warriors don't cry, and I know I'm supposed to be a warrior, but there were some mornings that I cried. As a junior, I didn't feel comfortable going to school where I would be ignored all day. You know, yeah. very few people saying anything pleasant to you at all. Mm -hmm. That's very, very harmful yeah. to any individual. When you're 16, you want to be liked and received. Really? Would appreciate I used it. to pinch myself to see, do I exist? Mm -hmm. Am I here? Where am I? Really? But you know, Absolutely. Oprah, I think um, for myself and Pam, I I heard you say, sort of just the way I feel, that I didn't see that. I didn't see what they saw. and I Because you were six for number one. Exactly, and I think that's You were really six and thinking you were going to college. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's really important that uh, we, as adults, realize that kids know nothing about racism. 
that we as adults teach them that. Mm. And it's very important. Thank you all for coming together. How emotional is this for you guys? How, how is this for you when you come together? Incredible. We, 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 love love it. It. we love being <laughs> together. This only other. happens. Blood what? of our blood. So every One. five to seven years, yeah. maybe, this sometimes. This is a very limited, very limited yeah. club. Yeah. Uh -huh. Nine so people in, nine people out. That's, that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we thank you for that yeah, privilege. We really do yeah. appreciate yeah. that. I wanted to say to all of you a thank you, because I often in speeches say that people who've come before me were the bridges that I crossed over on. Mm -hmm. And the Little Rock Nine was a big bridge for me because had that not happened, what happened in television 15, 20 years later could not have happened. And all of the other progress that so many of us now enjoy, you guys were the pioneers. You guys were the bridge. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org.